are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty, and liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings. Happy Monday. Hope you had a great weekend. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show podcast here on Westwood One, powered by CRTV. I am Steve Dace. Todd and Aaron is here, are here, proper English, since there's more than one, therefore it's plural. My bad. Todd and Aaron are here alongside for the ride, and we would love it if you would join us as well. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E, and we just wrapped up production for today's CRTV show. Let's give the audience a taste of what's headed their way. Aaron, I'll start with you. Yeah, um, Steve got an email from a producer. You won't believe what happened next. (laughs) Nice. I like it. Todd. This, I like it when Aaron does clickbait. I like this sighting hasn't been seen for six years. That's a good one. That's a really good one. Todd like is just that. staring at me like, what the heck is he? No, I like that yeah. one. I'm proud and honored. Three three cups of coffee. Man. I'm proud and honored in, in the return uh, to Fox News. I was get, I'm at... Uh, my daughter's uh, state uh, soccer finals, and I'm getting my phone's kind of going viral, and on Twitter people are saying, uh, "You're indirectly famous, Stace <laughs> Online. You're indirectly famous." So I, I, I um, I'll ride those coattails all day long, brother. Yeah, there was no way I was going on there and not dropping. Yep. They could have asked me about anything. At some point, I was dropping. Whoever's dumbest last loses. I was dropping that on Fox News. I was introducing the world of Fox News to that yeah. line one way or the other. Yeah, and like any freedom-loving patriot, I got home from church and I flipped on Fox News and watched your <laughs> watched your hit, and that was the only takeaway that I had. I'm glad you dropped it. Who's dumbest last loses. Only thing missing there is the Chick-fil-A, but they're not open on Sundays, bra. Yeah, that's true. So yeah. you had some leftover from the night before. Can exactly. I get a witness? Yeah, here, here. Man, I I'm on a... this Chick-fil-A kick right now, by the oh, way. Oh, it's so good. It's great. It it's is. That spicy good chicken food. sandwich. All day. I never get anything else. There was a great meme that came out about uh, Starbucks. Did you guys see this? Shutting down for, um, <laughs> um, you know, social justice training. Uh-huh. And and the, the meme says, yeah, uh, Chick-fil-A has a day like that, too. It's called Sunday. <laughs> Very well played. Well, if you want to watch today's CRTV show, it's just a quarter a day. Did you know that? It's just about a quarter a day to subscribe to CRTV. And you won't just get our show, but also the great one, Mark Levin, who's up for induction in the Radio Hall of Fame. I saw that today. Uh, You've got Steven Crowder, Michelle Malkin, the the whole gang here for just a quarter a day at CRTV.com. You'll get that price if you use my name as the promo code when you sign up. Promo code DACE. Last name is D as in David, E-A-C-E, just a quarter a day. And we have a, a free trial period. So if you try it during that time and you're like, you know, this really isn't for me after all, you guys really aren't really that good now that I think about it. That's cool too. Just cancel before the trial period expires and you won't be charged a dime. All right. So CRTV.com, promo code DACE. Is there an other programming wing at the Radio Hall of Fame? Because if there is, we got this, man. I think we, I think start one. we should start an yep. other programming Hall of Fame. Yep. It's going to be like... Like totally irrelevant people that were actually fairly mediocre at what they did, if only anybody would have noticed, right? Yeah. Yeah. Think about that. I mean... There's like us and... There's us. (laughs) So you're saying there's a chance, territory. That's why I'm saying we had to start it. Yeah. I didn't say there was going to be anybody next to us. That's why I thought we kind of had to start that one. All right. Let's get to today's podcast. And thankfully, it was a slow weekend. There really wasn't much that went on. Um, I, when I got up this morning, I thought we were going to actually talk about stuff that had largely happened yesterday and then today, because whoever's dumbest last loses was on parade first of the week already. You had Rudy Giuliani making the rounds on the Sunday morning shows, and I, I'm just going to come to the conclusion, either this is some syphilis-induced dementia he has, like this is Al Capone at Alcatraz. He's just, we're losing him now, all right? Or he's actively doing get out the vote for Democrats because this is serving. That's certainly the purpose it is serving, whatever he's doing. 
this this stream of consciousness. Well, you know, the president's basically above the law. He can't be indicted. He could pardon himself. I just don't think Trump will do any of those things. I mean, it's just, he's literally just handing them their talking points, you know. And then, just like we saw last week with Roseanne and Samantha Bee, every time the left is like, we're going to win today's outrage cycle. We got this one. We, we're going to win this. Because that's really the only thing that matters anymore is who's the most outraged at the end of the day wins. That's really what Todd means when he says whoever's dumbest last loses. Really, that's what you mean, isn't it? Whoever was, whoever was, on, the, was on the receiving end of the final outrage before we go in to vote, that's really what you mean. Yeah. Whoever's on the receiving end of the final outrage wins. That's really what you mean, right? Yeah. Well, just when the Democrats are like, we got this. There's no way you cannot, you can't do worse than Trump literally playing, because Trump's out there tweeting, uh, many scholars, it was like two people, many scholars believe I'm above the law. I mean, just come on. So you have Trump literally tweeting out the DNC talking points. And then Bill Clinton decides to hop on the Today Show this morning, and Craig Melvin, who's a good journalist, at least when I've been on with him, he's always been very fair. And he asks him, uh, you know, in light of Me Too, do you feel like you know you should you owe you know Monica Lewinsky the country an apology? And dude, it got lit as the Gadsden Mall, bro. Okay, I mean the old Bubba came out real, real fast, and he made himself the victim. You don't know all the legal fees I've paid. I was I was bankrupt. Sixteen million dollars. You, 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 you're this is more very one sided. There's a gaping hole in what you're saying. And Melvin's like, uh, what's the gaping hole? There's, it's just very one sided. I mean, it, and it was. And then the guy sitting, I don't even know who that was sitting next to Bill. <laughs> I don't know either. Some but that, that guy sitting there's like, this is. I'm I'm Luke Skywalker to Ray. This is not going to go the way you think. All right, you can see that guy's just got that look on his face. It's the same look Chris Christie often had at Trump rallies. He's like, I I, I didn't sign up for this, right? And he knows he's on camera, so he's like trying to show like no reaction. But that guy's going to be a meme by the end of the day. The close up meme where the guy's just kind of looking off into space. He's he's like, where's the fire exit? All right. So yeah, Bill Clinton just serves it up. You know what? Listen, man, I'm going to bridge that enthusiasm gap for the GOP. I'll do a little Republican get out the vote right here for you. You know, and so that seemed like that was going to be our podcast today. And then the U.S. Supreme Court decided they wanted to have their say on bake the cake bigot. And that's what we're going to discuss. And we're going to discuss this as in depth as we can without trying to get into the weeds. But we're going to treat you like adults. We're just going to try to do it without boring you to tears. Okay? And we're going to try to look at this as critically as we can. And critically meaning um, not negatively, but the least amount of emotion. Because I, none, of, none of us here have an advocacy group on the right or the left. And so we don't have to send you a fundraising pitch today telling you this was either the worst decision of all time or the best decision of all time because apparently you won't click send money unless we tell you one of those things. That's why every one of these fundraising mails say it. We're not going to do any of that. We're not, we are not going to demagogue this one way or the other. We're going to do our best to look at what this actually is and what it actually is not and what it could actually become. Fair enough? Yes. Okay. Knowing full well that all of that might not mean a hill of beans because they don't care what things actually say anyways they're going to do what they're going to do there's there's a portion of our audience that's true of but it's not it's not a lot of our audience otherwise we would have driven you away (laughs) long ago okay i want to start with what our colleague here at conservative review daniel horowitz wrote today because he is our senior policy analyst he's our go-to guy we all defer to him when i say defer it doesn't mean you know, when Daniel speaks, so say we all. We don't always. It means, though, that his take is put into heavy consideration before any of the rest of us react. That's kind of what it means. Fair enough? Yes. So he's not like the oracle at Delphi. More like um, more like the elder at your church. Okay? Um, meaning if you're struggling with what a particular portion of Scripture means. You might seriously contact. You're, you're probably going to seriously consider getting his take on it before forming your final opinion. Doesn't mean you just plagiarize him, but you're like, yeah, this is a guy that usually is pretty solid. I kind of want to get his take. That's what it means. 
Daniel writes, free speech, conscience, and property rights were hanging by a thread before today's court opinion and will continue to hang by a microfiber after. That is not something we should passively allow or even champion as citizens of a republic. The sexual identity movement, as I like to call into this show, the Rainbow Jihad, is rapidly being codified into civil rights in the Constitution, and Americans will continue to suffer from assaults on their conscience rights, even though Jack Phillips thankfully secured a victory in court today. But if conservatives were looking for the religious liberty version of what Obergefell was to gay marriage, they will be sorely disappointed. So much for the grand compromise of live and let live. Anthony Kennedy, the one-man arbiter of the extent of our liberties and natural law. Now, here's why Daniel says that. Anthony Kennedy really is the tip of the spear on all of these arguments. Former Reagan appointee, uh, he's, he is the double-minded man and stable in all of his ways. He can get things really right and really wrong, and it's because he has this conflict in his conscience between this libertarian streak he has and this libertine streak that he has. And it's and it's not an exaggeration to say without Anthony Kennedy, we would not be having any of these arguments. From Lawrence v. Texas, which was really the genesis of this, to Obergefell, which was really the Roe v. Wade, the apex of it, he has been the tip of the sphere the entire way. He's been as constant as the North Star. Without him, this whole thing we call the Rainbow Jihad would still be a talking point with liberal academics on college campuses for their white papers and there might be two people at MSNBC talking about it but it would not be the mainstream force of nature it is today without Anthony Kennedy just like the courts were intended to be exactly he weaponized it he he took after the ball if you don't know what that is go google after the ball 1988 it's essentially the manifesto of the rainbow jihad and if you read through it you'll see they have followed it almost to the exact letter He took after the ball and he weaponized it. And starting with Hobby Lobby, what's been happening, because he was the fifth vote in that ruling, he has begun realizing that his libertarian streak is returning now. And he's like, well, okay, um, I didn't intend for religious groups to be specifically targeted because they have a dissenting view even though I believe we all warned him in advance that is exactly what would happen because the goal here of this movement is not equality. It's vengeance. It's legitimacy. It's validation. It is, if God will not say I'm okay, these desires I have are not okay, then the next most powerful force on earth will grant me those the validation I seek and that will be government. And if you will not go along with the government validating me, then you will be made to care. That's really what this is. And this is why Daniel says Anthony Kennedy is our one-man arbiter. He began his opinion, Daniel says, citing with the Colorado Baker by noting, noting that the court faced, quote, difficult questions in this case, but it did not. He arrived at the right conclusions, but his tenuous rationale built on top of his Obergefell opinion, as well as the court's reluctance to overturn other assaults on religious liberty, should concern conservatives and should serve as the impetus for federal federal legislation protecting religious liberty. So narrow that it's worthless beyond this case. The court ruled 7-2 to that the Colorado Civil Rights Commission singled out Jack Phillips. And here's what we mean. You're going to hear us say this is narrow. Well, Steve, how is it narrow? It's 7-2. to We're not talking about the margin. We're talking about the scope of its impact, okay? Talking about the scope of its impact. The court ruled 7-2 that the Colorado Civil Rights Commission singled out Jack Phillips and engaged in overt religious discrimination in the ruling against him for not baking a cake for a gay wedding. In 2012, Phillips, who owned Masterpiece Cake Shop, declined to bake a cake celebrating the ceremony of Charlie Craig and David Mullins. The Colorado Court of Appeals upheld the commission's ruling, and the state Supreme Court allowed that ruling to stand. Today, the Supreme Court reversed that decision. However, what they did not rule on is that a state or federal government has no right to make such a law coercing individuals to service events that violate their conscience, religious or otherwise. I agree, Daniel says, with the ACL's, ACLU's reading of the opinion that in fact the court, quote, reaffirmed the core principle that generally speaking, businesses must service everyone and every event for any reason. 
Some conservatives are excited that ultra-liberal justices Elena Kagan and Stephen Breyer join the majority opinion, but in fact, their support for the opinion only further solidifies the point that this was a very technical decision and will not stop the slew of lawsuits and state laws against the rights of property and conscience. The fact that this was not a narrow majority opinion shows how it was a narrow decision strictly on legal grounds. Kennedy continued peddling his concocted rights from his Obergefell opinion that there is, quote, and this should be concerning what Daniel's about to quote, authority of a state and its governmental entities to protect the rights and dignity and dignity of gay persons who are or wish to be married, unquote. How do we protect the dignity? Do you know, Todd? I have no idea. Aaron, you have any, any idea how we protect the, the how dignity? Uh, I'll answer that question when you uh, tell me who gets to define what dignity looks like. Exactly. That's a that's the exact right answer, brother. Todd gave the right answer. You gave the exact right answer. First, we got to uh, who's defining what dignity is. Same people who think there's no inherent dig- in, uh, dignity in an uh, unborn child made in the image of God before it's born. Who's defining dignity? And that statement right there goes a long way as to why Daniel has the analysis that he has. He goes on to say, it is clearly implied in Kennedy's opinion that a state could make a facially neutral law demanding that every pharmacy offer all sorts of contraception, that every photographer service any wedding, and possibly that even every baker bake a cake for a gay wedding. It was just that in this case, the commissioners appeared to have applied their ruling arbitrarily and with animus towards Christians. In fact... Much as we've seen in these court opinions going after Trump's travel ban, and when the Trump administration points out all we're doing is banning travel from the same eight countries the Obama administration did, why are we even in court? And what's their, how many times has their answer been, well, we are going by what Trump said on the stump during the campaign, what his speeches are saying, that you're not merely trying to defect, defend the American people, you're trying to discriminate against these potential immigrants based on your speeches. Right? We've seen that in several rulings. Well, Anthony Kennedy uses that exact same logic here. I mean, the, the court said, said today that one of the reasons why they believe that the state of Colorado's interest was not in protecting anti-LGBT discrimination, but in targeting Christians for their beliefs is the public statements that the officials in Colorado, the anti-Christian statements the officials in Colorado have made. So what would have happened if they would have never made those statements? What would have happened if the people of if the state of Colorado would have said, "We really don't want to. We greatly respect Christian moral thought and tradition. It just can't be used as an excuse to discriminate discriminate against people of different sexual orientations." What if they just had left it at that? What if they were nicer? I guess is what I'm trying to say. It would have helped them. A great deal, but there's other overt hypocrisies within this. Right, right. That would not eliminate. But because they were that ham-fisted, they don't force the court to consider that question. They gave the court an easy way out and saying, hey, douchebags, there's no way we can sign off on this. You guys are literally fulfilling every blog Steve Dace and Daniel Horowitz have written in the last five years on this topic. There's no way we can sign off on this in good conscience. You're blowing our Trojan horse wide open here. Try harder. Do better next time. Be more subtle. Play nicer. That's kind of what they're saying in a way. This is another version of the one who is dumbest last loses. You just went way into the dumb. Yes. Yes. You can't literally be the crowd outside Lot's house like that Steve Dace guy talks about all the time. You can't literally be that. You know, put a nice, put a, you know, put a smile in every aisle. But here's the thing, <laughs> Steve. They can't help themselves. They may not be able to. And we'll get to that later on because I think that's a good point. Daniel goes on. Even in the case of Jack Phillips, the commission appears to have the authority to initiate another hearing on the matter, although it would politically be harder for them to do so now. Restraint is not a word they know over on the left. Some might suggest that conservatives typically like narrow rulings and should celebrate when the court doesn't venture into broader policymaking. The problem is that the question of whether Jack Phillips was specifically targeted in the Colorado case is not irrelevant to the broader question of coercing someone to service an event that violates his conscience. It's built on top of it. So 
So there is no way for the court to sidestep this without tipping its hand. The court seems to be clear there is no First Amendment right of conscience in private property, certainly not in a categorical way, when it runs amok the rainbow or abortion agenda. Indeed, in 2015, in the Stormins case, the Ninth Circuit ruled that a Washington State pharmacy must provide essentially every type of contraception under the sun, even abortifacients, even though 30 other vendors sold all the products within five miles. SCOTUS refused to grant an appeal to the owners of that pharmacy. So a federal judge in Pennsylvania and a federal judge in Pennsylvania recently commanded employers in the state to offer contraception coverage in healthcare packages despite the president's order repealing the constant constant contraception mandate from Obama. This is what I was trying to tell Todd Starnes earlier today at Fox News when I was on his radio show. What happens is the other side takes every ruling, narrow or otherwise, and immediately begins carrying it out as if we just transformed America in three seconds. Our side takes narrow rulings and agrees, well, that's a really narrow ruling. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a little bit like one side, one side, um, let, me put it, let me put it this way. The rules allow you to determine whether a touchdown should be six points. There's, there's new rules. And the new rules allow you to determine whether the touchdown's worth six points or ten points. One team in the game says, well, hell yeah, we're going to make it ten points every time. And the other team in the game says, we well, you know traditionally a touchdown has always been six points. And that's the game we agreed to play. That's the game we've always loved to play. That's the gentleman's game. So touchdowns are only going to be six points when we score them. That's really how we lose in the courts. That's what's happening here. What happens if there's no gentleman? Yes. And that's what Daniel is alluding to. They're just disregarding precedent set by actual policy from the president of the United States. And just acting as if touchdowns are 10 points now. Screw you. And we're over here writing blogs at National Review. We're like, well, this still permits us to have touchdowns at six points. Oh, that's great. Yeah, you can still have your six-point touchdown. But guess what happens when the game ends and the other team's scoring 10 points a touchdown? Who wins, Todd? The other team. The other team does. No matter how nice you were about it or how indignant they were about it on their side, they, they still win. They have more points at the end. This is what Daniel is alluding to. Whenever you want to see what the court should have ruled, chances are you should look at Clarence Thomas's concurrence, Daniel writes. Thomas completely disagreed with the entire premise of the Colorado court that government has the power to coerce individuals into protecting the dignity of classes of individuals. He writes, quote, these justifications are completely foreign to our free speech jurisprudence. States cannot punish protected speech because some group finds it offensive. Although Anthony Kennedy says maybe you can because you got to protect people's dignity, right? But Clarence Thomas says you can't punish someone if another group finds their speech offensive, hurtful, stigmatic, unreasonable, or undignified. If there is a bedrock principle underlying the First Amendment, it is that government may not prohibit the expression of an idea simply because society finds the idea itself offensive or disagreeable. Except we've been operating for the last 30 years of political correctness as if that's not actually true. Which is where you get the least amount of free speech on college campuses where they used to take it arguably too far. Now they don't take it far at all. Thomas noted how Phillips sat down with the customers and promised to make anything they wanted for any other occasion except for their wedding ceremony. Thomas ends his concurrence by ominously warning that although religious liberty has lived to fight another day in the case of Phillips, in future cases the freedom of speech could be essential to preventing Obergefell from being used to stamp out every vestige of dissent and vilify Americans who are unwilling to assent to the new orthodoxy. That is a direct quote. And it sounds like that's something that sounds like what Scalia wrote from the grave. This is exactly what Scalia said in response to Obergefell before he died, and it's why he took the extraordinary measure of criticizing one of his fellow justices, Anthony Kennedy, by name in public because of what Clarence Thomas is writing about right here. In other words, Daniel concludes, the legacy of Obergefell, which was not just about creating a right to a piece of paper, but an entirely new protected class, is stronger than ever. 
so much for Kennedy's vain promises in Obergefell that the First Amendment ensures that religious organizations and persons are given proper protection as they seek to teach the principles that are so fulfilling and so central to their lives and faiths and to their own deep aspirations to continue the family structure they have long revered. Knowing the history of the court on any issue that even parsimoniously addresses the homosexual agenda. The amount of religious liberty against its precepts will only diminish, not grow, with every court ruling. Unless, Daniel says, Congress steps in to protect religious and civil liberty, we will lose conscience and property rights forever. If we are only going to rely on the Supreme Court to protect our First Amendment rights, it will result in the same outcome as our reliance on it to protect the Second Amendment. In this case, it's every bit relying on Anthony Kennedy is like asking the fox to guard the hen, hen house. It was Justice Kennedy who created this problem, and we cannot allow, rely on his capricious decision-making to solve it. So that was what Daniel Horowitz thought today. That was his analysis for conservative review. Here's what I think. And some of it is definitely inspired by Daniel's analysis. When you study the opinion, one thing immediately comes to mind. This opinion is not about the First Amendment. Let me rephrase that. To the two dissenting voices, it is about the First Amendment. To to most of the majority seven that sided with the Baker today, it's not about the First Amendment. It is to Clarence Thomas. But to most of the people that sided with Jack Phillips today, it wasn't about the First Amendment. It was about arbitrarily and specifically targeting Christians by the state of Colorado. That's correct. Some of you, because there's a a growing movement on the right that says we have to adopt the tactics of the left to beat them, which I will push back until my last dying breath. In this, in, this, in, this, in this industry. You'll be carting me away as I warn you against doing this. Playing God's game by the devil's rules never works. I'm all for fighting as hard as the left. I wrote a book about it. I got another book coming out in a few months. Part two of that conversation. But we cannot fight like them. Because these, the reason they use such demeaning tactics is because they have a demeaning view of their opposition. They're not trying to convert you. They're trying to end you. I was speaking at a conference in D.C. a few years ago, and a pastor got up to talk who served in active duty in Vietnam for several years. And he said, when you serve in an active war zone, you learn the difference between an enemy and an opponent. An opponent disagrees with you, maybe even vehemently, and desperately may even want to to defeat you. An enemy, he said, they want to end you. They, They cannot tolerate that you would occupy the same earth as them, the same space as them. And he warned this crowd in that hotel ballroom that day in D.C. He warned them that what's coming up on the left are not opponents, but enemies. They want, meaning they view you as enemies. They want to end you. Well, Steve, that's why we got to fight fire with fire. Well, this is the paradox of the Christian faith. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. See, we leave a Lord that, we, we serve a Lord that would leave 99 behind to find the one lost sheep. And that's paradoxical. It means we have to give up the things that the world says matter the most for the things the world to come say matter the most. And that means we have to fight in a way that points people to that world, not drives them away from it. Now, there is a time and a place when you are facing immediate physical harm, invasion, home or homeland, where absolutely you have the God-given right to self-defense, and in that case, mama bear's got to protect her cubs, right? Okay? 
We're not in that context, though. We're in the context of a, of a cultural, spiritual battle. It's not even really a culture war. It's really a spiritual battle. Culture is the result, manifestation of a people's spirituality. That's why we talk so much on this show about revival. No man can rise above his own worldview. You cannot get someone who's never been taught Latin to speak and understand it. How would they hear the word, Paul asked, if there was nobody to preach it to them? And so when we talk about these cultural clashes, they're really spiritual ones. And spiritual wars are going to require spiritual weapons, spiritual tactics. Now, by all means, when they send their goose-stepping thugs to your front door and say, hey, we don't want you homeschooling your kids by what the Bible says, and they point the gun at you and say, give them up. And if you think that's nuts, that's happened all throughout history. You know what you do then? You show them your Second Amendment, man. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. Amen. But until we get to that point, you're fighting a spiritual war. And if we recognize that, we're less likely to get to the point that I just talked about, that draconian, dystopian end. This is the paradox. We are less likely to get to the point where we have the dystopian end that requires dystopian means if we fight this spiritually now. That's why I don't think it's good news that the courts offended at targeting Christians. Because it shows they're moved not by the American premise, but by a flawed progressive one. Yeah. We're playing identity politics. We're just the victims now. This, this, this morning when I was on Starnes Fox News radio show, he played a clip of Judge Andrew Napolitano. Blew me away because you guys know how much I have, hold his opinion in high respect. But he was basically giving you the glad rainbow jihad talking points. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you straight up when, when Todd's like, hey, I want to play this clip of Judge Napolitano. I'm like, crap. Because <laughs> I thought for sure he was going to be, he was going to be more optimistic than me about this, right? Sure. And he's going to think that this is no much more landmark for the First Amendment. And I was like, well, I'm, 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 I'm gonna, how am I going to argue at Napolitano attacking me from the right? You're criticizing my argument from the right. You know, he might be right. No, it was Napolitano saying, well, this is going to be used for religious people to say, I don't want to serve blacks or women or Italians. That's what he said. That was the clip. I was flabbergasted. A man that smart could say something that dumb. A ruling that just said... A guy was discriminated yes. against can be used, used to, to discriminate, discriminate against. Yeah. yeah, it made no it made no, no sense. None it made no sense, and that's why I said to Todd, "Hey, go ask the judge if he thinks a Jewish deli owner there in New York City, where you all work for Fox and News Corp, uh, the government ought to force them to handle and serve uh, kosher foods or non-kosher foods to Gentiles. Go ask him that. Go ask him next time that uh, Richard Spencer brings his little uh, merry men of uh, alt-right uh, racists." to Washington, D.C., whether um, you know a black caterer or government ought to force them to serve and cater that uh, banquet or not. This isn't merely theoretical. This is the rub within this yes. particular yes. story. There are, well, I'll get to it after you're done. This is why I'm, this is why I'm, we should be disturbed that identity politics is the premise for this. We can't win that game. Maybe in another time or era, we could cut off our nose to spite our face, meaning we had the numbers... We could win a, 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 the game by their flawed means and kick the can down the road for another generation. But then eventually, when the demographics reversed, we'd find out that it ain't no fun when the rabbits got the gun, right? Right. We don't have those. No, we don't even have the numbers right now. We don't have the numbers. We, we couldn't win an identity politic game if we tried. Math is not in our favor. And math don't lie. So... That's what's troublesome about this to me, is that the premise of what the court did today seemed to be in reaction to the clear targeting of Christians than the upholding of the First Amendment. It's a little bit like C.S. Lewis once said, aim for heaven, you'll get earth thrown in. Aim for earth, you'll get neither. I don't have to worry. If you uphold the First Amendment, I don't have to worry about being targeted as a Christian because we're not even playing the identity politic game from the start. We're rejecting the whole premise of it. And the court sought a way to defend Jack Phillips, the baker's, civil rights 
without really touching your First Amendment rights. Because it sided with him on the grounds of identity politics. That's why I don't believe this will do anything. I agree with Daniel's diagnosis. I I don't believe this will do anything to halt further persecution of conscience in our culture. In fact, I think there's a far better chance once the other side stops licking their wounds and starts looking at this, and the ACLU is already doing that, I think they will, we will sadly see even more. We'll see more. Because there's no clear alternative path forward offered by the court. Well, Steve, you're the one that wants courts limited. The problem is, as Daniel points out, they open this can of worms. So to say, open the can of worms, but then don't tell us what to do with the worms once they're out of the can, does that make any sense to you? No. You can't do that. So either either keep the can of worms closed, or if you're going to open it up, then tell us, here's what you do with the worms once they get out. They still aren't doing that. We don't know. We don't really know what the boundaries are, other than don't be douchebags about it. Don't be open about it. Don't just openly tell people we hate Christians. We can't just be honest about that, guys. There's still like you know 30 million Christians in America, real ones. We, we can't offend that many people. This isn't Western Europe where the Catholic churches of yesteryear and their stained glass windows are now mosques and 2% of the population of France is evangelical. We can't just steamroll the church here like we can over there. There's a boomerang. There's a reverb. You guys just can't openly say bake the cake bigot. You can like put like, you can bake it, you, uh, you can mean that, but you just can't like openly say it. You can't grab Jack Phillips by the back of his hair and rub his nose in it in public. You leave us no alternative when you use these sorts of Gestapo tactics. You, you drop this hot potato in our laps. You left us no choice. That's what, that's what Stephen Breyer and Elena Kagan, who presided over a lesbian marriage once, that's what they're saying today by siding with the majority. That's what they're saying. And that's why I think eventually the other side's going to be like, well, let's see how far we can go. What will you say yes to then? What if we're just really nice about it? What if we don't make it blatant? What if we don't just make it Christian religious thought? What if we just made it all religious thought has to go? Well, let's find out. Let's poke and prod. Let's see. Because we've got all these advocacy lawyers that we just have taxpayers front pay the cost for their retainers anyway. We're not paying this crap. Or Tim Gill just write us a check. Now, if you are looking for what I think is a is the big positive, and this may seem counterintuitive, but it is that seven Supreme Court justices were clearly offended at what they viewed as an effort to single out and target Christian orthodoxy by leftists. Here's why you can see you can also take that as a positive. It is a recognition of what the end goal of this has really always been. They can't. Now they're on the record that they can't lie to us anymore. All the all the high-minded rhetoric. What two people do? Consenting adults in their own room. How's my gay marriage impacting your marriage? Live and let live. That's all out the window now. The Supreme Court is on the record saying we acknowledge. Because remember, I remember I was really guys like Starnes and I were two of the first people to cover the religious freedom issue back in 2014, 2015, 2013. I'm the guy that emceed the rally Ted Cruz held about it in 2015 uh, in Iowa when a bunch of mainstream media people thought these stories of Baronel Stutzman were fake news and they were being made up. I remember that was so long ago, five, six years ago. And less. And they told us what happened to Kelvin Cochran, the fire chief in Atlanta, who served in the Obama administration. And because he wrote a, wrote a devotional for men, a men's ministry on, on his own time that said, save yourself for marriage, one man, one woman. He got kicked out as, one, as a decorated fire chief of the city of Atlanta, a former Obama appointee. Those stories don't exist. Well, they can't say that anymore now. That, that I do think we can say is a positive. Taiwan has been recognized, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Like, we know Taiwan is there. We know there's an island there. We have its coordinates. We just don't have an embassy there. We don't acknowledge it. We just kind of just, and we import a bunch of stuff from there, but we just don't recognize it. Taiwan was officially recognized today. The Supreme Court did recognize and acknowledge today that the rainbow jihad's target is Christianity. That's a positive. But again, 
since their focus was not primarily upholding the First Amendment, but the Baker's civil rights in this case, I think we're going to see more tests of religious freedom in the future and not fewer. In that respect, this case reminds me a lot of Carhartt v. Gonzalez. And that was the partial birth abortion case that so many Republicans and pro-life leaders have said was our big win, except even Dr. James Dobson admitted it didn't stop one single abortion. You ever read Carhartt v. Gonzalez? I have. It's a how-to manual for abortionists, guys. To use a, a Nazi Germany reference, so we're just going to cavalierly toss those around these days, let me actually use one legitimately. Imagine a German court said to the Nazis at a concentration camp, you can't use, I'll just pick some, Zylon B to poison the Jews, but use Zylon A instead. If you, if you, if you don't use Zylon B, it's partic- it leads to a particularly brutal death. But Xylon A just essentially anesthetizes them and puts them down to sleep like a dog. Just use Xylon A and it's okay. That's really what the court did with the partial birth abortion ban in Carhartt v. Gonzalez. Said just don't do it that way. You ever wondered why you hear news stories, America is one of only six countries left in the world that still permits late-term abortion? You ever wondered how you keep hearing those stories? How come, how come, ask your local pro-life leader, why are we one of only six nations in the world that still permits this, but you've been telling me we banned this in Carhartt v. Gonzalez like 15 years ago. Because we didn't ban it. We banned one method of doing a late-term partial birth abortion. We didn't ban the practice itself. Just one method of a practice. Do it another way. It's totally, and in, actually, in some of the opinion, the court lays out some of what might be the acceptable ways. That's why I said it's a how-to manual. Do it this way. Sever the spine this way. Break his neck this way. It's, it's not a victory. It's wicked is what it is. This opinion, in a way, kind of reminds me of that. Yeah. Now, a couple more things. Moving forward, I think a case could be made. This does signal the Supreme Court may not have the stomach for the zero-sum game that the Rainbow Jihad wants. What I mean by that, it's Rainbow Jihad or nothing. No accommodation, no dissenting view. Judeo-Christian morality gone for good forever. Now, if this is not the big win some of you are being sold, I think Daniel and I have clearly made the case it's not, it's also a warning shot for leftists because I guarantee up until yesterday, they thought it was in the bag that the Supreme Court would sign up for a zero-sum game. They thought it was in the bag. I cannot imagine what Elena Kagan's inbox is right now. Oh, boy. Oh, my. Can you imagine what is... what? If she has any kind of social media presence or anything at all, any kind of public outlet for comments or anything at all, can you imagine what the crowd outside Lot's house is saying to her right now? Because they thought you were one of us. You were going to sign up for this. So for the left, there's some warning signs here too. And while I still am not confident that if 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 the rainbow jihad refused to show any restraint... Because what I hear the Supreme Court guys saying today to the Rainbow Jihad is, you won. Take your victory. Go home. Live your lives. But the problem with that is the Rainbow Jihad's goal was never victory. It was validation. And a validation that can only be achieved by eradicating dissenting views. They don't want victory. They want validation. They want vengeance. So I'm, I'm not confident that they will take their victory and go home. But the court is clearly sending them a message. This may not be the slam dunk you think it is if you keep pushing it. So just as I would, have, I would, I would say for our side's view of the argument, guys, that this is a stay of execution, meaning let's say you're on death row and you know you're wrongly accused and the governor comes through at the last minute before they're going to fire up the gas and says, I'm going to stay that execution. Does that mean you go free, you walk out the front door of the prison? No. Right. No, it means you've bought yourself some time to make the case that you should be acquitted. They got the wrong guy. So it's a stay of execution. And just as a stay of execution says to the, to the defendant, I'm going to buy you some time to make your case, it also says to the prosecutor, your case may not quite be as ironclad as you thought. Are you sure you had this thing nailed down? And so I think there's warning signs for both sides to some extent in today's opinion. All right, gentlemen, your thoughts. I don't disagree with anything 
you said or Daniel said, but there are particulars involved in this case uh, that are usually involved in all such cases uh, that give me hope. Uh, there was a gentleman, uh, a businessman in town when I worked at the register. I interviewed many times. I always enjoyed the conversations he had. He's, he's a, a, a big progressive. Uh, he didn't know where I came from uh, at the time because I was actually a uh, real reporter. But we had uh, uh, great conversations. And uh, along faith, and the story pertained uh, to faith, I asked him what he'd consider himself. And he said, I'd probably consider myself an atheist if they all weren't such a bunch of a-holes. That's germane to this story. The court recognized that while you are persecuting this guy and doing it in an overtly hostile way in terms of the rhetoric rhetoric you used the very same commission civil rights commission or whatever they called it in colorado when the case was reversed exactly and steve you've already brought up the examples of the the jewish deli and the black Quaker, but this is exactly reversed this is about asking a gay friendly baker to do a pro-christian cake three times they supported their right to do so mm-hmm. the a-holism of this movement has That's why I said arbitrary, y- right. Yes, has gotten so grotesque. And when I and this speaks to what I said before about they can't help it. I don't mean that in some flippant way. Their sense of righteousness demands such a double standard. So it will go on, as you said, Steve. But if they recognized it in this case, there is hope that that double standard cannot stand anymore. And if they will simply have to rule, if there's any semblance of law whatsoever, and I, I made that caveat early on, it, none of this is going to matter if we just end up devolving into anarchy across the board. But if there's any semblance of law at all, you are just going to have to tell every single business that they have to make the cake, no matter how ugly yep. it is. Yep. That That's where, we, that, and, and the fact that we have that it's not a theoretical argument anymore they looked it in the eye that's why i said it's important that the court not what you're saying is what i was trying to point out this is why you're 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 better explaining why i said it's important that the court recognize taiwan today yes the supreme court did recognize these guys are douchebags all right that's so and i think that's an important precedent going forward because if they don't show restraint going forward the court has already said this is these are lines you can't cross. You've gone too far, and that's what I hear yeah. you pointing out. And they and they won't show restraint. They can't. They it's probably not won't. within their they think it's moral to be this contradictory. They have to, they their tribalism now, is their bottom line. They the rainbow jihad movement won't, but they need elected officials, just as we're frustrated on the right all the time. We can write all the articles mm-hmm. of Conservative Review we want. We can do all the podcasts and shows at CRTV we want. We can't get our elected officials who represent us to yep. act on what we yep. believe. Nothing changes, right? Right. So while I agree that at the Freedom From Religion Foundation and the ACLU, they're not going to show any restraint. They're going to be back again tomorrow. Sam Ballard and Tobiah will be back at the wall to, to pester Nehemiah tomorrow. I promise. Promise. May not even wait till tomorrow. They're, they're back after the lunch break, guys. I get that. But there's going to need some public officials, and if you are and and if you are a public official in Colorado, which is a pretty purple state, and the Supreme Court's on record saying you're basically an anti-American douchebag. Like yesterday, the minute the Rainbow Jihad's glad called me up, I took their call, took notes. I did. A, I I was their footstool, their foot soldier. I just carried them out orders unquestioned. I'm not. I may say belay that order. I may question some of those orders right now. Because unknown rainbow jihadist, you know, internet troll isn't on a ballot in November. My ass is. And what happened to the guy in Oregon, the commissioner in Oregon, who did this to the clients? Remember what happened in his very next election? Yeah. His ass lost. Okay? Well, now you got the Supreme Court saying, uh, no. No, you guys can't behave this way. That's where I think this could have some political ramifications, is I do think there could be some Democrat elected officials who are like, I don't know, I'm not sure we got the standing here politically to just go uh, 
savage the way you guys are selling us on. It seems like even when you even got the woman presiding over lesbian uh, uh, wedding ceremonies on the U.S. Supreme Court while she's deciding the Windsor and Obergefell cases, mm-hmm. okay, when even she is saying, uh, this is going a little further than I'm planning. I can see some elected officials getting a little squir- getting a little squishy. Yeah. So let's not. Uh, nobody should go Pollyanna. There's work to do every moment of every day uh, on this front, and, and that would have been true if this had been the Valhalla of legal decisions in our favor, because the culture is rotting and we don't have uh, the institutions in general. But let's not pretend this isn't an opening. This is a fantastic opening to march with, and it needs to be utilized accordingly. I think the only place that you can, that, or that I can go uh, right now, is is taking a look at the big picture. And, and my overall sentiment is going to be um, a little bit negative. So I, I agree with Todd, though, what he just said. This is not nothing, but it's not everything. But the overall picture that I, I want to paint for us is that, again, we've got to have revival. Today was a win, albeit a small win. But the fact that we're still fretting over the First Amendment after a win Mm -hmm. says volumes. It speaks volumes about the state of discourse and our culture right now. And everything it speaks is not pretty you said something about congress needing to pass legislation along these lines trying to reaffirm the first amendment um i would agree with that not too long ago though the republican controlled congress right now who will not do a darn thing who will not uh defund obama i should say defund planned parenthood uh they will not um rip up Obamacare as they promised to do for eight years or for six years I should say they were wanting to appoint another certain members of Congress were wanting to appoint another special counsel so they wouldn't have to do their own job they are not interested in governing and I don't see that trend going away anytime soon the Supreme Court today left an opening as you pointed out Steve They did not see this as a First Amendment issue, even though my question about how do you force somebody to violate their religious convictions without displaying some sort of anti-religious rhetoric. Mm -hmm. That's why I question that. But it's still it it doesn't make the the explanation doesn't make any sense. But in it's not making sense. It makes perfect sense because we're talking about the courts here. My point is our only recourse, the First Amendment overall in this current environment, the First Amendment has already been replaced by Obergefell. Mm -hmm. So the only recourse we have, we don't have a First Amendment recourse. I thought this was what this case is about. It wasn't. The Supreme Court made it about something else. Well, at the same time, it kind of was about the First Amendment, but not directly. The only recourse we have is revival, because Congress is not going to do it. The court's quite frankly, would rather see us, uh, I think a lot of, of, of the courts would rather see Christians put in jail um, than actually protect their rights. But you're act- absolutely right about making the point that this makes us nervous. This does not make us feel warm and fuzzy because the conversation in this case was not argued from the premise of the Constitution or the First Amendment. It was argued from the premise, the Marxist premise, of factions of people. And the court, which should not be political, made the very political decision of saying, we can't go this far right now. So although this is nice, it is a nice victory, a small victory. And um, in some small way, it does set some sort of precedent and it does send a message. I will say that. Our issues are far larger. And it is, again, we use this term, I think, um, too many times, but and it becomes cliche. But again, all cliches have some root in truth that this is just a stay of execution. And I hate ending this because it is good news, and we can't, we can't just ignore that. 
But the overall picture is bleak, and our problems run much deeper. I, I think the courts are telling us they know this is not uh, they, they know this is fundamentally about the first amendment and they aren't prepared to rule on it because yeah. they can't see a way of doing that and it not fitting their utopian fantasy so they have to throw their own constituencies under the bus and say you know you were jerks because that's the only thing that will buy them time they know if they rule on the first amendment right now and it's really about the constitution and the law they lose and they lose big which is why it's an opening for us steve on an entirely another matter uh off air we were talking about this and uh we're talking about a column idea for later in the week about uh, when everybody's telling you not to write about uh, to talk about a certain thing and make your points that way that's the entire point and that's why you need to make them they showed weakness with this ruling by i i know we wanted it solved now but we also should know that's not the world we live in by not ruling on the first amendment it tells me they couldn't they could they it was a loser for them so we need to grab this torch now and fight hard for it It, it's right about everything about the darkness of the times it doesn't mean we don't get to choose like gandalf told us to do what we can with the time that was given to us we must fight and die on this hill and we've been given a door we didn't have before i agree with everything you just said there and i think this is if daniel were here um he would say one of the reasons he he may make his analysis at times like these even more jaundiced than he typically would is because we've got all these fake pro-family Christian groups yeah. Yeah. that are all, send us $20, we just saved your religious freedom oh. at the Supreme Court, we yeah. won, send us money. We told you Trump was God's anointed, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. And so a lot of our people are trapped between the truth is not good enough for us anymore. The truth isn't its own reward anymore. So we didn't stop an open communist from destroying whatever was left of America because she told us she would if we gave her the chance. No, we saved America forever in 2016. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't get the Supreme Court to recognize. See, I think it's actually pretty amazing. That Elena Kagan, who presided over, I keep bringing that up because I think it's pretty amazing. Yeah. That a woman who, while she was publicly in the, she was in the public eye, deciding over the definition of marriage at the Supreme Court, flippantly in your face rubbed your nose in it and presided over a lesbian wedding ceremony, and that same woman turned right around when she saw what was the what was some of the end result of her own face planning, and said, "I just I didn't sign up for some of this." I think that's amazing. Yeah. That's not good. That's not going to be the story today, though. The story is going to be religious liberty saved. I, it's already in my inbox, guys. Mm-hmm. It's, I've seen it already in my inbox several times. Five times already. I know. Yeah. And so because of that, that's why we can't do what you're talking about. Openings aren't good enough because I can't raise money off an opening. I need this to be the hostess with the mostest, the greatest thing of all time. We, 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 we solved cold fusion too by three o'clock. Send me another 20 bucks, grandma. Since that's what most of the fake conservative movement is. We won't see this as the opening that you articulated. We're going to be told we won. That's what we're going to be told. Just like we were told, I went through this God bless him. I know him too. I work for him like you did. I like Rick Santorum. But I had to correct him how many times when he'd come on my show or we talk in private, taking about the par- partial birth abortion ban and how many was our greatest pro-life. It didn't save any kids. And I had to correct him when he left my show. I hate, you know me. I actually don't like doing that stuff. You know me well enough to know I don't like it. I don't like being that guy. I really don't. That's the, that's the paradox of me. I was a popular kid in high school. I had lots of friends. When I'm not doing this, I'm talking about football, Star Wars, typical guy stuff, man, that, that has wide-ranging popularity. I'm really not comfortable being that guy. I'm forced into this position because as much as I'm not comfortable with being that guy, I really don't like being lied to even more. And so I'm, I'm in a position I, I didn't really sign up for because you're getting scammed a lot. And a bunch of good people, or at least people you think are good, are scamming you today on this. It does present an opening. I, don't, I completely agree with that. But you're going to be told we won today. We saved religious liberty today. No, we didn't. 
this, the, the majority opinion is not even in defense of religious liberty. It's in defense of the fact Jack Phillips' civil rights were violated by a court that targeted him because he was a Christian. Didn't say he had a right to his views as a Christian. Just said he had a right to not be targeted as a Christian. That's identity politics. We don't want to play that game, guys. But you did get seven Supreme Court justices to look at the rainbow jihad and say, that's not how we do things in America. We don't, we don't treat each other like that. And as Todd, as you said, that's your opening now. See, here's the thing. I have actually counseled clients and, and campaigns I've worked with before to use victimology to their advantage politically when they can. But not as an end means in and of itself, but to point to the truth you're trying to get the culture to re-understand. So I'm okay with using the fact Jack Phillips was targeted, was victimized for his Christianity to your political advantage. But it can't be with victimization as the means to an end. Codifying victimization into law is something completely different than winning an argument in culture, maybe using victimization along the line. Yes. It's one thing to say Jack Phillips was victimized because of his Christianity, because we no longer respect the First Amendment. And that's why we have to return to the original intent of the Constitution. Meaning you're using Jack Phillips' victimization to your political advantage to go to the point that you're ultimately trying to make, right? It's another thing to say, see, you can't treat Christians like that. Well, one day a pharaoh will arise who knows not Joseph. And you know what he's going to say? Dang, Skippy, we can. You bet we can. Yeah, sure we can. And we're doing it right now, in fact. We can't win the bad argument game. We can't win the flawed premise game. We can't win the identity politic game. Now, when they overstep their bounds, we can use that, as Todd is pointing out, as the opening to play the game, to get back to the game we can win. Yes. But if we stay on their game board, then we are whistling past a graveyard here. The two-minute warning is sounded. This is, then, then this becomes the... And this really is up to us now. This has the potential to be a stay of an execution that leads to an acquittal or this is like getting a first down when you're when you're down in the final seconds or you catch the Hail Mary pass at the five yard line hey you caught the Hail Mary pass and the guy got tackled at the five and you still lose you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. still lost the game how, whether, how that's handled will be up to us and I will tell you based on what I'm seeing so far I am not confident in that outcome It's just too much money to be made on selling all you guys that uh, we just, Moses just parted the Red Sea again. We just touched the hem of Jesus' garment, man. And that's what I'm being told in my inbox as we speak, which means you're getting all the same emails I am. And this is what creates confusion in our audience where you guys think we're negative all the time. I'm not, I just don't want you to be lied to. This is not a win as much as it's an opening. It's an opportunity that could become one if we're honest with ourselves about what this really means and what it really doesn't. We forced the other side to show that they are exactly who we claim they were. And even two of the court's most liberal justices looked at that and said, uh, recoiled. That should be a big win, actually, a big positive. But is that the argument you're hearing today? The argument you're hearing is we saved the First Amendment. We saved religious freedom. Sometimes I wonder if we do this because our people don't have resolve or our people don't have resolve because we do this. I don't know. Maybe you would respond if those same groups that are telling you today we saved the First Amendment... If they told you the truth, maybe it's, and said this is, and maybe you would respond if they, t- if they told you the truth and they sent you an email and said, we need you to send us $20 because this is the first step in the battle back. I don't know, maybe you would. I don't know. But I kind of think since everybody seems to send right and left, every, every fundraising email is, this is the worst thing ever or the best thing ever. And that seems, they keep seeming to do it. That must be where people respond to. I can't believe they just knowingly send out pitches that don't get an ROI, right? So I guess we need to be motivated that way. Well, I mean, it depends on what your goal is. Is your goal to preserve this, the last best hope for humanity, east of Eden? 
or is your goal next quarter's fundraising, Mark? Pick one. Choose one. We often choose unwisely. Final thoughts. Todd, I'll start with you. Well, I liked the way you ultimately just narrowed it down into the one sentence. It it, it does codify what I'm thinking. Maybe not so much a win, but certainly uh, an opening. Uh, God help us if we, for whatever idol-worshipping reasons... Uh, whether too pessimistic or Pollyannish in our optimism, uh, don't see this for what it is. Our list of allies is growing thin, Aragorn. We were just mm. given one. Let's befriend him and move forward accordingly. Um, anytime there's a, um, a Supreme Court or any court or any legislation which deals with fundamental unalienable rights given to us from God let's take that each let's purpose each and every one of us to remember and to acknowledge who is sovereign not the legislative branch not the judicial branch God is sovereign over our God-given rights you know why our rights are God-given? Because they came from God. That's why we call them God-given. So then who is sovereign over those? It's God. Regardless of how you feel about this Supreme Court decision today, you should ha- be at peace. No matter if you really do think it's a lot better than maybe um, Steve and I, or maybe especially I am painting it, or maybe you're uh, thinking it's you know worse than what Todd's pa- Whatever. Just remember who is sovereign here. It's not the courts. It's not the judicial. It's not the legislative branch on any level and any time. That should give us peace. And I think that's how we can, again, get through this without losing our minds every time something like this happens. Well... You're always welcome to give us feedback. Let us know what you think about what we think. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email us. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. And hey, if you haven't done so yet, if you've got uh, some time today, it takes like two seconds. Click subscribe there on, on whatever device or platform you use to listen to our podcast. The more of you that do that, the more that helps us to reach more of you. If if you have a, an extra couple of minutes, you can leave us a four or a five-star review. Those really help us to grow the platform and the podcast and to reach new people as well. And if you don't like the show, don't lie. But if you do, we would greatly appreciate you taking some time out of your schedule just to let others know about it. And so many of you have done both of those things. So I want to thank you in advance for that. And um, you're the wind beneath our wings, man. You're why we do this. I mean that. Mostly. John 317. This is Steve Dace. I like it, you.